if you just want to open your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to start reading in verse um, 24. We read here, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise uh, the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And are you not much better than they or of much more value? Which of you, by taking uh, thought, can add one cubit under his stature, and I can testify to that one. I've taken thought. I cannot add one cubit to my stature. Um, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon, sorry, we'll go back, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, and neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. All that man can muster together, it still doesn't compare to what God's able to provide and create. It says in verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things uh, do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And there's there's a lot in that, I suppose, in the passage we've just read, but just at the beginning we looked at that no man or no person can serve two masters. And um, I don't know if you can think of any times in your life, I know that I can, where... Um, I think in a work position, but and, and maybe you've got your own examples, but where you've got someone who requires something of you and then someone else who requires something of you and it's competing for your attention. Who do you be loyal to? I, I remember having a job where um, the boss sort of said to me on the quiet, that person's in charge, but no, really that person is. And you become a bit confused about who you're supposed to report to, who you're supposed to keep happy uh, who, who's actually got the authority? And, and again, maybe you can think of your own situations. I remember um, watching a bit of a show, a documentary on um, special forces on the SAS, and one of the things they did with them is uh, when they were extremely tired and uh, had been doing a lot of sort of battle preparation, um, they got them at night time when they are really hungry, they hadn't slept for days, and one of the commanding officers would get in one guy's ear and say, you're in control of this platoon, and then he would also do, do the same thing to another guy. And just watching them sort of try and keep it together while, you know, he's, he's sort of getting into him saying, well, why aren't you taking control of it? And then he'd say to the other guy, what are you doing about it? And it's just causing confusion. And um, and so this point is really simple that we, we can't. And we know in this life um, there's always competition for our attention and our priorities we've got the spirit that god places inside of us and then we've got this natural life and it tugs on us and 
as we as we kept reading there, it says um, down in um, verse 33, it's a, it's a verse we know really well, but it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else in this life will be added unto us. Now, it sounds so simple in, I suppose, just to read it. You think, yeah, that's that's the answer. It's so simple. But if it was, if it was simple, everybody who had ever come to know the Lord, everyone who had been born again or most, would still be walking with the Lord today. But we know it's actually one of the greatest challenges. It's actually one of the, it's actually the greatest thing to fight for in life. Out of anything we could fight, any purpose we could have in this life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else in this life, all the things that come up, you know, all of the um, provisions we need along the way, all of the the challenges that we have both outside of us and within us um, to continue to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. If it was easy, then everyone uh, would, you know, anyone that heard the gospel would just walk on with a breeze. But we know it's not always the case. And he goes on and he talks about not being anxious for tomorrow. And that's also much easier said than done. A lot of people anxious for tomorrow in our world at the moment. It says because, you know, the, the evil or the trouble of tomorrow is sufficient for itself. There will be enough problems that come with tomorrow. And really that um, to waste or spend too much energy on things that we cannot change, that we don't have any control of, doesn't actually help us. And, you know, that really we need to focus on what we can change. And I, I want to talk a bit today about just um, remembering God's righteousness and and his plan and that he has it in hand and how important it is that um, we, we, we remain being able to be taught by the Lord and that we keep teaching good things. Back to um, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy, um, many people may may know or come to understand, it really means the repeat of the law or the second law. And um, through this book, Moses gave really three main um, sort of addresses to the children of Israel, and um, particularly in the in the plains of Moab is where he was. And um, it's at a time that's getting very close to the children of Israel uh, entering into the promised land. And this is re- this, as you read through, there's there's lots in it, but he's really reminding them um, of where they've come from, uh, you know, having been in bondage in Egypt and so on. And, you know, we know that they'd spent 40 years um, wandering in the wilderness, and we probably read that so many times, uh, you know, as we've opened the scriptures and so on, but to really contemplate what it would be like to be uh, homeless and not really have a base for that amount of time and, and where things are always changing in a time of, Uncertainty, and we know that they ended up in that position through uh, through unbelief. And you just sort of think about the anticipation that would have been in this large, well, basically a nation of people about to go in what they'd been hearing about for so long that one day you're going to enter into this place of promise, where it's it's going to be a land of good things, and the and uh, the uncertainty, and and uh, even even just thinking about the people that began at that time of that 40 years that were around, most of them passed away. 
you know, a lot went astray, but some would have passed away through old age and it started with their generation and a new generation was born in and yet they're still in this position of wandering around. And um, actually back in, uh, you don't have to turn to it, but you can have a look at it for a reference later, in Numbers chapter 14 um, in verse 38, it talks about that the only people that were left from the original group of people uh, was actually Moses, Joshua and Caleb. And um, I want to start reading uh, in, in just in verse 12. So we, we got this scenario and this is Moses, a part of one of the addresses to the children of Israel. And he says, thou beware, then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So he's pre- preparing them with these thoughts as they're getting closer to going in. And he says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around you, about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as, he, as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the law that it may, of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord has spoken. And just this is a, a part I want to have a look at here. It says, And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes? and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you, then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our, our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And if we, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he's commanded us. And I suppose there's a really good question there in that, you know, when we think, maybe particularly when we're we're growing up in the Lord or maybe we've walked for the Lord for a number of years, even decades. And, and, and at times maybe we ask, maybe, maybe our kids ask us or maybe we ask the question ourselves, um, what, what does this all really mean? What's it actually for? Why are we upholding these commandments of the Lord? Why are we upholding God's ways? Why are we trying to walk in his spirit? What's it all about? And, Sometimes we think, well, we do know the answer to that. We've got God's spirit, but there are things that come up that challenge us in our life and they test, they test our faith. They test our steadfastness to hold on to the things of God and they test the inner, the inner person about what, what do we really believe? What do we actually hold precious in life? And none of us are exempt from that. We will all, we will all have those moments. And, um, he goes on and he really says it's about, it's about keeping us alive as it was for the people. And it was about keeping them alive 
and keeping them in righteousness. And, and there's times when, uh, we, we just, we need the answer of the Lord. You know, when, uh, you know, I know having, uh, having children that are, we, we have two teenagers now that it never takes long for that to happen. You have children and the next thing they're teenagers and, and life goes on and, and questions come up about, well, you know, I guess they're comparing uh, their life to the life they see of the kids around them at school. Um, maybe, maybe we're a bit older. We're in the workplace. We've just started a workforce, or maybe we're down the track a bit, and we look at the lives of the people round about us, and we look at their standards, and we look at the way they conduct their life, and maybe sometimes the freedom they seem to have, and we go, "Why is my life different to theirs?" and and what's it really about? Why am I in this, in this walk with the Lord? And Moses here was reminding the people that, um, it, just in the end in verse 24, he, really the answer to them was, was that to fear the Lord our God for good, for our good always. It's for our good that we walk and we remain faithful to the Lord. But why? Not just for this life. He said that he might preserve us alive. Because I guess that is the biggest thing in this world, isn't it? That people don't really, they don't really think beyond this life. Maybe, maybe people do a little bit, but they don't really have an answer to it. And the whole purpose of what God has called you and I to is to preserve us for what is to come. And, you know, it's not hard when we looked in our world now to see it's in a lot of trouble. It's not hard to see the problems, but our world's got an amazing way of just making us sort of immune to it, that it's same old, same old, and I guess there's always been problems and nothing's really changed. But but God God is saying to us today, you know, when we look at our world, what is going on, if, if we open our eyes and we look, if we're not asleep, if we're watching, it's exactly as Jesus Christ warned. When you see our world in this state, it's the door of my son coming back. It's, it's the door and, and this era and this age, it's about to end. And all of the things we've accumulated to ourselves, all of our, you know, ambitions and our, our desires and, and, you know, and God, God blesses us in some of those things. It's good. We live, we still live in a very good country and we have, we have nice things. You know, we live with nice homes and, you know, and, and a relatively safe environment around us. And if we want to go and get something, we can, we can get it, we can put in some work and we can get these, you know, whatever material things make us happy. It's, it's all there. We, we live in a land of abundance in some ways. But God's saying, but we're at the door. And remind yourself, stir yourself up, stir ourselves up about the time we're in and, and why, and why we're here. And what he's really reminding them when he took, when he says, when your kids ask and you tell them the story of how you came out of Egypt as it was for them, same with us. We all have a testimony. Even regardless of our circumstances, we have a testimony. When we were born again, no matter how that came about, whether we were, we were brought up in a family that taught us the ways of the Lord and then we ourselves had to be baptized and seek God for the Holy Spirit or whether God called us from out there somewhere in the world, whatever we, we were doing, we all have a testimony. And we have to, we have to remind ourselves often of God's testimony, of all the things that He's done, because 
if we really do stop and we pause and reflect on all the little circumstances in our life, you know, some big, some small, we we realise the hand of God is always there. But it's easy to put it to aside. It's easy to maybe sometimes to explain it away. And it's easy to forget and get caught up with seeking first everything in this world and hoping that God will add a bit of righteousness to us on the side. And God says that way around, we will struggle if we take that approach. I want to go back um, or across to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. Again, I just want to think about that sometimes the smallest or the humblest jobs that we might find ourselves involved with uh, in our life, in the things of the Lord, they lead to, they can lead to a big part of God's plan. And um, we read here um, about Stephen, but I just want to, we'll just read a few verses in, the, in Acts chapter six. It says in, in verse one, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So. Within the assembly of that time, um, there, there was a, there's a bit of a murmuring going on. The Grecians against the Hebrews because they had ladies who, uh, who'd become widows through either their, you know, their husband's uh, lives being taken or, or whatever it was or just going to sleep in the Lord and they felt like they weren't being provided for and just in a, in a, in a, and, and most likely in a practical sense. And we keep reading it says, and then the twelve, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye uh, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So it wasn't a case of, oh, well, um, there's a concern here. Let's just ignore it. Let's seek the Lord. And let's, let's put it to prayer and let's uh, draw out people who can, who can look after this so that nobody is neglected. And it says in verse five, and at this, uh, the saying, uh, and the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And it, Go, I will keep reading it. It says, and when they set them before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So they sought the Lord very much about it. And it says, and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And so this, um, I suppose if you really, if, you know, at this time you think of these men being so involved with uh, the revival that was happening at that time and yet they came up a practical need and they sought the Lord about it, and you might think, um, well, there's there's some widows here, and and they're feeling like they're not being looked after, and in some practical matters. And when you think about it, it would have taken um, some humble men to go, well, I actually see that as a job that is really really worthwhile and is of service to the Lord. You know, um, maybe it wasn't seen as something being right on the front line, but it was it was an important job, and. Out of it, we know if we, if we were to keep reading, um, Stephen becomes very, very bold and, um, he, uh, he ends up coming under a lot of criticism and they end up taking Stephen's life and he ends up being stoned, not before sort of going back and, um, 
explaining to those that wanted to take his life basically a whole bunch of the Old Testament and how they came to be in the position they were in that day. And the point that I want to bring out is that it says, um, where are we going to go um, in chapter 7? So it says in verse 57, or actually we'll go back. Um, so, so Stephen finishes in basically first 53. And we know it says in verse 54 that the men that he spoke to, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I imagine that was a incredible thing to see. And then they cried with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him and so on. And it says here, and the witness laid down the clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul, an unconverted Paul. And it says, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now here's a, a, a man full of the Holy Ghost, he starts out in a practical job and, of course, boldly stood up for the word of God. But the end of it was that through that service and and through through God just using him, he ends up seeing Jesus on the right hand of God. I guess the approval of God himself saying, "I, Stephen, I acknowledge your faithfulness. I acknowledge, you know, I guess that's what it was. I mean, how, I don't think many people get that when they go to sleep. I mean, he lost it. He lost his life in a, in a pretty hard way. Um, but God showed his approval, starting out from a small job. And, you know, there's things in our life that, you know, maybe, you know, so often we're, we're a practical assembly and there's so many things that go into our assembly to make it what it is. This, this wonderful assembly that we have. You know, um, it, it's it's a treasure because it's made up of God's people, and it's made up of different personalities, and it's made up of people who have all have the same spirit. We're all united by God's spirit. If it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, we wouldn't be here like this. And we all have different personalities, and we all have different abilities, and we all have um, a different part to play in the body of the church. But none of them are any less significant than any other part. And, you know, and just in this case of Stephen, he, he, the Lord chose him to do a humble job, to serve in a, in a, in a practical way some widows. And yet God opens the heavens and, and shows him, I'm with you, Stephen, right as he, right as he departs from this life. And I guess there's a great encouragement for us that as we, we go on, you know, we get, maybe, maybe we can get tired. We can get a bit critical. We can look around at each other. And we can, and, and, you know, and it's just so easy to look at people's faults. It's so easy to look at what other people aren't doing, uh, what we think they should be. But if, if we can always start by looking at ourselves, you know, what, what part am I playing? And, and I know that we, I know that we are. I know that there's people, there's in our assembly, there are people that are doing things constantly for the work of the Lord and, and we don't always see them. We don't see the work of the Lord, but, but the Lord does. And, you know, that little part that we can play 
You know, it, it makes so much difference and we don't know what God's going to do with it. We might start out in what seems like just a real small task before the Lord and God might use it for, for who knows what. That's the way his body works. And we've got to be in, we've got to be in service one to another because when we, when we are not in service, when we are just, um, you know, and we know there's different stages of life. Our health's affected. Different things come up along the way and it, maybe we can't do what we used to do, but every one of us has a part to play that is just so important to God. And that's, that's the body of Christ. And as we play that part, it, um, it stops us just looking at everybody else. So using, using the word of God as just a, um, a, tele- a telescope or a microscope to bring everyone else around us under, under criticality of, you know, maybe what they're doing, what they're not doing. And instead we start to use it more of a mirror. Lord, Lord, how is my life? How's my life lining up to your word? You know, and, and, you know, all of us, all of us end up being an encouragement to each other in one way or another. You know, there's, there's li- the little things that we do. Maybe, maybe we don't, you know, observe some of it, but there's other parts we do, you know, where it's, um, someone at the end of the night locking up the hall or someone giving someone a lift or somebody who's prepared to go over and quietly get out their Bible and give a few words to enc- of encouragement to someone who's struggling or just so many different things. These things are happening all the time in the body of Christ, you know, in, and, and if, if we, if we don't look for those things, if we look at maybe for what's not happening, we get ourselves into a bad position, but, but praise the Lord, you know, none of us are immune to that, but God can move us all through it. And, um, as we keep serving, his, his body grows and we're the better for it. Um, Acts chapter 17. So now, we read of a young man, Saul, at the stoning of Stephen. Paul the Apostle has now been converted and he's, um, he's on a journey, uh, as he was, often was, into a place called uh, Thessalonica and he's in the synagogue and he's reasoning with a lot of the Jewish leaders and so on out of the scriptures. He's got the scriptures that he has and he's reasoning with them about Jesus Christ. And then we, we could read in Acts 17 how he then goes on into uh, Athens, and it talks about how he comes across uh, different philosophers. It talks about the Epicureans and the Stoics, and um, he observes an altar, which uh, we, we again we may have read this a number of times, and there's an inscription on it uh, to the unknown god, and he, which they've built an altar to. And I just want to have a look in verse 21. And we read about just the character, I suppose, or a particular mindset of the people that were there in, in Athens, the Athenians as it calls them. It says in verse 21, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing, which is actually why they gave Paul the opportunity to speak because they, they, they called him a babbler and they said, well, what's this guy got to say? But their mindset was that they were happy just to hear, they actually actively always looking out to be able to talk or to be able to hear about some new thing. And, you know, we, we have to be really careful. Even in our world today, there is so many developments of all kinds of things. Our world, like, like our, like the Bible prophesied, it said that and knowledge shall increase. And we see that in a world, there is so many new thoughts. 
ideas, technologies, philosophies, understandings, and we have um, these really good computers in our pockets that will constantly flash things up in front of us that well, I haven't seen that before, I haven't heard that before, and our attention can just be taken to to see or to hear some new thing, and that gets the best of us. You know, more than we will spend time maybe just in service to others, or more than we'll spend time, you know, with with the scriptures open, open, or in a bit of prayer, we're just there looking at the latest YouTube cat video, or we're looking at the latest, you know, person that can do seven backflips off of a seven meter building onto it. You know, there are things that is just our world's just full of it. And it's, and it is, and it, and it draws us in and we get caught into it like, wow, you know, and some of it's amazing. The things that some people end up being able to do is incredible, but it's just, we get caught in that pattern of just wanting to hear or see some new thing. And after you've seen someone do seven backflips, guess what? It's not that exciting anymore. They've got to do 10 for it to be exciting. And we're just on that curve. And Paul, um, he goes in and I just want to keep after he debates it with them or he reasons with them, I want to just go down into verse 26. We read, it says, this was his message that he really ended up declaring to them of the unknown God. He ends up saying, he says, and he hath made, this is talking of Christ, hath made of, of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. This is what it's really about. God's actually in control of the plan. He's got a righteous plan and he's determined the bounds of our habitation. He gives us, because he's given man a free will, he's given them a lot of freedom to go and explore a whole bunch of things. And we see that more than ever now before us. But God said, but behind it all, there's a bounds of habitation. There's a natural life that's appointed so many years and our natural selves it can't go past it. God set those bounds. Nobody can change it naturally. And he says 20, in verse 27 that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God's not far from anybody who calls out to him. He's, he's there. His ears are open. And he says in verse 29, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like under gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. We ought never to be caught into thinking that God somehow exists or he, he, he dwells in things that mankind has come up with. And the times of, and he says, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at. In the time that we read of in, in Deuteronomy there, there was a time when God he says he winked at it. In other words, he, he wasn't happy about it, but he, but he sort of let it be. He just, you know, throughout the history of the nations of Israel, constantly going off, off after other gods, after other nations, after their customs. And God, well, they ended up going into captivity for it, but he forbore it or forbade it for a long time. He says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The time of winking at that has, has come to an end. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man who he hath ordained. This is Jesus Christ. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That is the assurance that God has given. That 
that all that we might do and, and, and give and, 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 and hand over of our life in service to God, the assurance that we're not wasting and nobody will ever waste their time is that he's raised Jesus from the dead and he's proved it because Jesus Christ through that sacrifice was outpoured the Holy Ghost, his spirit, and it comes and it lives with, within us. And we have evidence that that happens because we pray in an unknown tongue. And that is a miracle, the greatest, the greatest miracle on this earth. And, and there's really no other miracle to be compared with it. The fact that God can put his spirit with personal evidence inside of our life and prove it because we speak in an unknown tongue and we're able to pray in the spirit and have a direct connection that nobody else can break with the creator himself. That is amazing. That's the evidence. And he says, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, will we hear thee again? We will hear thee again of this matter. And so Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Among the which was, uh, Dionysius, the uh, Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And standing and looking for God's righteousness and walking in the ways of the Lord has never been any different. The gospel has never been any different. Some mocked. Even in Paul's time, he spent all that time, they had an altar there, the unknown God. They didn't know who God was. And when God, when Paul declared who it was to them, the best some people could do was mock. But for others, it's a couple of names are mentioned and some clave to him. And so the gospel is that as whatever opportunity we get to be able to speak to people in, you know, through the circumstances of our life, we will get people that mock. They'll mock at the thought of Jesus being raised from the dead. They'll mock at the thought of God placing his spirit inside of us, of, of speaking in other tongues. But do you know what? There'll be others. They will cleave unto the word of God. It's the gospel. They'll, they'll see it for what it is. And praise the Lord, that's a time that we're in, you know, that um, telling... Uh, Telling the gospel doesn't change. It'll, it'll always be an exciting thing. It will always be the answer whether through free will people choose to believe it or not. And we know it doesn't just um, start and end with hearing the gospel. The challenge is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and believe and trust that as we go through this life, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances come, God will add everything else unto us that we need as we go. Acts chapter 11, just a couple of things. We know that um, the Bible tells us that in the former days it says that, that God spoke to us by the prophets, but in the later days he's spoken to us by his son, and that by most circumstances the prophets finished in the Old Testament. But there is the odd occasion uh, recorded in the New Testament where Somebody did, did stand up and, and prophesy and something came to pass. Um, I just want to have a look, uh, yeah, Acts chapter 11, and I want to read in verse 27. And it says, In these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there shall be great dearth throughout all the world. In other words, there was going to be a great famine in, in their area. And it says, which came to pass 
in the days of Claudius Caesar. So he said he, by the Spirit of God, the Lord was able to reveal to him that there was going to be a famine and it came to pass. And it says, but what I want to look at is how the disciples handled it. Because I guess for them at their time, it talked about there's going to be a great famine. It's, and you know, we, we've seen just locally when, when people think there's going to be a bit of shortage of food, <laughs> we, we see what happens. The supermarkets get flooded and all of a sudden you can't buy toilet paper and pasta and, and people panic. And, and you think, well, what was in their minds? I guess in that time, people were maybe more accustomed to hearing about famine where people literally, you know, lots of people starved and it still happens very much in our world today, uh, for millions and millions of people and in an ongoing state. But this man prophesied of it and, and we think, well, what was their reaction? You know, maybe remembering Jerusalem's under Roman rule was their first thought to think, oh, it's, it's the Romans, you know, they're, they're stopping the food, the food supply or they're keeping it for themselves and, you know, the government's not handling it right. I don't know. It doesn't say the causes, whether it was simply because of the weather and, they didn't receive rain. We don't know the cause, but there was. And I just want to look at the attitude. It says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. That was the answer. I mean, it, the answer was to come together united and seek the Lord and go, how can we... How can we help one another? And, and, and not to, not to get too caught up in what was the cause of this famine. But rather, how do we, how do we help? How do we help the brethren? And we know from this point, there was more problems. If we would turn over, we're going to not run out of time, but as we go over to Acts 12, we know there's great persecution against the church. James, the brother of John, he's killed with the sword. This man who's pretty instrumental to the church, he loses his life. And then Peter, he's taken as well. Peter's put in prison. And again, um, you know, the church could have done a, a natural uproar. They could have taken up arms. They could have gone and got swords and go, we're going to bust Peter out. We're not putting up with this. We're the people of God. But what did they do? They sought the Lord. And we know Peter, he'd been striped and so on, and he was in prison. And the Lord found a way. To, the Lord got him out. The Lord sent an angel and got him out of prison. I just want to finish, um, oh, actually I'll be bold enough to say I want to finish in this. I think I'll do. Matthew chapter 20, 22. Yeah, verse 15. We know this story well. Uh, again, Jesus always was tried to be caught out in his words and it says, you know, by the religious people of the time and it says, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, master, we know they are true. And teach us the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for you regard us not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? And when I think of this question that they tried to catch him out with, I guess getting some perspective for, for the Jews, or for, for the people of Israel, for the church, you know, well they weren't the church yet, it wasn't the New Testament era, but they were in captivity under a foreign power, under the Romans, and the Romans didn't respect their God or his teachings or his ways, and they were, ta- they were taxing them, they're taking their money, 
and using it to build their empire, not the empire of God's. And the question, the question that they thought they'd catch him out with, is it, is it lawful to go along with this? Is it lawful to comply and hoping that he might say, no, we should stand up and we should revolt against this? And we read Jesus' answer and he says, but Jesus perceived their, this in verse 18, their wickedness and said, why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And he brought them unto him a penny and said unto them, whose is the image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then said he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God's the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And, you know, sometimes people even wonder, what should we be doing about the situation we're in today in our world? And you think, if Christ was still on the earth and all of this was going on and we said to him, Lord, what, what should we do? And should, should we be wearing face masks? Should we be having an injection? Should we be, you know, all these things... What would Jesus say to us? And I believe his answer would be very similar. Keep rendering unto think to God the things that are God's and unto the things that are this natural world that we have to do to be a citizen. Just keep doing it. I've got, I've got it all in hand. Just keep doing those things. And um, we'd be stronger for it. And you understand their concern. You would have understood their concern at the time. I will finish in one passage, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. It's to the church of Sardis. Actually, we'll read in verse, in verse 2. This was a period of, uh, of, of time in church, of the church history. We read the letter that was given to them. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that thou art, that thou art ready to die. For I, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. And, you know, none of our works are perfect before God. We all, we all come short of the glory of God and it's why we need his spirit. But the message to them was to hold fast or, and to remember how we received and how we heard. And that's so important for us. How did we hear the gospel? What was it that called it? What was it that brought us into a relationship with God? And not to forget that simplicity and that just amazing calling of being called to the Lord and to just hold on to the simplicity of that. Because it goes on and says, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There's a few people of their time that hadn't denied the faith, that had stayed walking in God's righteousness. And and that's that's you and I. And it just says in verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's the testimony of God and his righteousness. One day, one day, if we, if we keep walking with the Lord, God is going to confess you before his father, or Jesus Christ is, and before his angels. Individually, he's going to, he's going to confess that this is they, or these are they that overcame 
by the blood of the lamb and all the things that life threw them and all the pressures to deviate, to get caught up in this, to, to go the way of the world, to serve this, to serve that, they stood strong and now present them before you, Lord. That's what we're looking for. That's where we're heading. All people said. 